The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new Sox Machine Podcast. And for those in the United States, happy Labor Day. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, as it's September 4th, 2023. And boy, speaking of labor, it should be considered work for all White Sox fans watching this team. The first weekend after announcing Chris Getz as the new general manager, the Chicago White Sox laid an absolute egg, getting swept at home by the Detroit Tigers while scoring just four runs in three games. And that includes a very embarrassing 10 to nothing loss this past Saturday night when the White Sox only had four base hits, all singles, of course, and each one was wiped out by a grounded into a double play. History! We've done a few podcasts the last couple of days. There was our reaction to Chris Getz getting promoted. We had Jimmy Pardo stop by to help us laugh. And Jim sat down with Keith Law over the weekend to learn more about Chris Getz. But in this episode, we are going to start with reactions we are seeing from you, our faithful listeners and readers at Sox Machine. Joining me to help is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And Jim, what a weekend for the White Sox. Great culture building from Pedro Grafal and his staff, all of the culture. They already took the weekend off, it seemed. <laughs> like they're in, the, they're in the spirit of the holiday, uh, celebrating labor by taking a rest. Oh, except in this case, it was not well-deserved. Uh, no, not by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, at Sox Machine, since Thursday, when we got the press release that Chris Getz have been promoted. Then there was the press conference, which was not very good. And again, we had a whole podcast episode dedicated to that press conference because Jerry Reinsdorf spoke and uh, we got the opportunity to hear Chris Getz speak. And he did some interviews around Chicago radio circuit and uh, not getting any better uh, when Chris Getz speaks. And I've been noticing as far as the reaction on Sox Machine, especially in the comments section, Jim, and I know you've been paying attention to it as well, on how our faithful who visit us daily to interact with other White Sox fans and other fans of Sox Machine have been reacting 
to this news. And we received this email from one of our longtime supporters on Patreon, Chris. And uh, we are sharing this letter because I think many of you are sharing the same feelings that Chris has. And Chris wrote to us, I just turned 57 years old this past week. I attended my first White Sox game back in 1973, and I have loved this team even before I attended my first game. I have never wavered. I have three sons aged 13, 11, and 9 that I have in endeavored to make White Sox fans poor kids. Every time we travel to the States, we go to White Sox games. Anytime there's an afternoon game, we watch it here. I easily spend several hundred dollars each year in White Sox merchandise. I have been at various times a season ticket holder. Granted, I have lived in Germany for the past 14 years, so my financial impact to the team has been limited, even considering the fact that I drop eight to $10,000 on a 500-level box every other year. Today, with Jerry's announcement, I'm done with the White Sox until Jerry either sells the team or dies. I'm done. And Jim, White Sox attendance over the weekend was dismal. Just a little more than 15,000 fans on Friday night, if that. They may have sold 21,000 plus tickets for the Saturday and Sunday games, but one when walking to the stadium after hanging out with our friends from the 108, uh, Lot C was empty except for the media and staff cars, and you could have tumbleweeds tossed in the wind and the other overflow lots. And... What Chris has wrote to us, what we are seeing in the comment section, people interacting with us on social media, this feeling of I'm done until Jerry is gone, I think is widely shared among the White Sox community. And I honestly don't think Jerry Reinsdorf and the Chicago White Sox understand how bad of a business they are. Not just a bad baseball team, but also how bad of a business they are. Yeah, and I think you probably sense this too because season ticket renewals are coming up. So what's it like among the people who are thinking about spending two, three, five, ten thousand dollars on tickets and being asked to pony up right now? Like what's that discussion like? So it's twofold. It's either my hobby, my side hustle, my business relies on being at White Sox games, or I don't have that. If you don't have that, those people are not renewing. Mm -hmm. For everyone else, and you could throw me in that bucket, I think we're all renewing at this moment. And I feel like a sucker doing so mm -hmm. because it's just not great value. Like it, There's just not a lot of bane for your buck as a White Sox season ticket holder compared to what Bulls fans get or Blackhawks fans get or what Cubs fans get and even like Chicago Bears fans get even though they had to purchase like PSLs. Like it's just not a lot of bane for the buck and it's like I don't know why I'm doing this other than I guess I could write it off my taxes. I guess, you know, it, our whole thing, we watch the White Sox so you don't have to. And, you know, I enjoy going to games and I enjoy seeing people and I enjoy hanging out with friends. But if... I didn't have socks machine, Jim. I wouldn't renew that. That's the cool. only reason why I'm renewing is because we are a business. Mm -hmm. Me being there has benefits of being there. But if I didn't have that, we wouldn't renew. Yeah. Well, being there and I think experiencing what season ticket holders experience, like, or what they don't experience or, you know, what they get, what they don't get, what kind of bang for the buck you get in terms of just 
you know, being putting your money down for 20, 40, 81 games. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate your dedication in that regard. Um, because yeah, I go to maybe one game a year being where I'm located, but yeah, it's, I think there was value in him talking directly to reporters because I was listening to the uh, pre-media pre, uh, conference chat that he had with reporters that I think Vinnie Duber recorded for CHGO. And I was listening to it, um, you know, after a few days of not thinking about it or not having heard it or not seeing the quotes directly just to kind of have fresh ears because I listened to it after I saw the quotes on social media, you know, for tweets from reporters who were there. And so like, this is my best chance of like hearing it with unjaundiced ears, uh, even though like, yeah, you can't, you can't go back. But in this case, like uh, I'm hearing this one from start to finish now. And on one hand, you know, you get a sense of the guy and the human behind it, which like is Jerry like sometimes Reinsdorf, you're, you're yeah, Jerry Reinsdorf. Yeah. Okay. Like in terms of like, sometimes relatable, sometimes not like in terms of like, you know, him talking about how hard it was to fire Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn and how like he, he still thought he could put it, you know, they could put it back together, but somebody told him the record is the record and like him kind of giving into that. Like, you know, I, I wouldn't say like I got choked up or anything, but I could feel like the resonance, like that's a very human feeling of just, you know, cutting the cord, finally stopping throwing good money after bad and realizing like this is bad for everybody. So like on that hand, it's like nice hearing that from him himself and not, you know, rather than hearing him filter through Kenny Williams or Rick Hahn saying like, oh, he's really mad. He's really disgusted. Like it, it, it's nice hearing that himself where he didn't uh, serve himself was basically, you know, it was funny, like that media conference was human and you know, a little bit of a sense of humor, a little bit of gallows humor. Still don't like the guy, but at least like, okay, he said some things I get, I can relate to that, that kind of match up with what people say. Then he goes into the media conference and reads a statement without taking questions in front of everybody. And that is a terrible statement. Like, you know, he goes from, he segues or really doesn't segue into the shooting and trying to kind of influence the public discourse on where the bullets might have come from directly into introducing Chris Getz, which is like, you know, first of all, very jarring and, um, you know, ineffective, both, I think, in terms of like changing people's minds, but also like, you know, serving Getz well, but also like the way he came across in that statement was just... Uh, I didn't want to do the work of looking for an executive. I, I don't want to waste a year. Chris Getz is here. Greetings, Chris Getz. Like, you know, that's, it showed like how little he cared. And like, there was a difference between the um, chat with reporters and the media conference. And it's, you know, at one hand, you're 87 years old and you know, you're, you're a billionaire. You don't really care where you move. This like might be the last time you ever have to speak to reporters, but just, I think what broke a lot of people is that they're just, you know, they're, they're giving money to a bored old man. Like that's just, that's how he sounded. He sounded like I have nothing else to do. I don't play golf. I don't play bridge. So I'm just going to own the white Sox and take people's money. And I'm not, you know, I want to get better. This is really disgusting. And also he did a better job of conveying disgust and disappointment to the reporters in that informal chat than he did in the media conference. Like, um, 
just like he expressed like some dismay and, you know, reiterated how bad it had to get for him to fire Kenny Williams. But then he goes in front of the microphones and the backdrop and just says, you know, comes off as just very uh, bored and like, well, I guess I have to do this. I'm fulfilling my obligation. Here's a new guy. Enjoy. Like, you know, and, and so I imagine if you're looking at that renewal form and you're looking at four figures, five figures to give to this guy, like, why would you want to? And he's the guy. And like, and then it trickles down into the whole idea of culture and the White Sox getting swept. And you realize like, there's the culture. Uh, and you can draw that conclusion just naturally, like fish rots from the head, you know, everything like that. Just, you know, uh, lazy ownership, late stage White Sox, as I call it, just uh, watching everything kind of erode and it failing to sustain itself. But when you hear just how, he, how like he didn't look for anybody you don't know who he talked to the only person you know he talked to is Tony Larusa, who nobody wants him to deal with and he also defended Larusa in front of reporters which like read the room stop it why are you doing this and just like no he doesn't care but like that's I think what you know it all kind of ties together in terms of like well if he doesn't care why would anybody else if he's already talking about the 2023 season the past tense why would anybody care about September if he's not looking to for somebody to really improve his team is just going for the best guy in-house why is anybody going to pay attention if they're all collecting checks like why should the players feel especially inspired so i mean that's kind of what it allowed people to just see for themselves and hear for themselves is a guy who just is not active and not invested he may talk like a fan and i'm sure he feels bad about how the white Sox have played but he doesn't feel bad about his own part in the processes and why it went wrong. And if he does feel bad, he did a terrible job of conveying that. And so I think that's what's just very naked right now is the indifference or at least the indifference that he emanated, that people perceived that they have to take as real because like there's no reason to give him the benefit of the doubt. There's no reason to think that he cares about you. Uh, you know, Sox Fest is a good example of like a, a way to show some kind of the slightest inkling of, or, or like, you know, just token gesture of caring for fans. And nope, you know, three years in a row, basically. So yeah, it's just, uh, I, I think that's why this is a very fragile time for White Sox fans and why it would be nice if you know beyond just business reasons just well i mean i guess it is a business reason but just in terms of like isolating reinsdorf from the fans with a business sense like you know right he has no business sense when it comes to pleasing fans like that was not his business that's not how he got rich pleasing people pleasing masses of people uh not his thing the way like Mark Cuban, like that's kind of, you know, for example, of a billionaire who's in the entertainment industry in communications, like you get a sense that he likes playing to the crowd, even if he's not always great at like Reinsdorf, you know, that's not really his thing. So like if they had a CEO or a, um, you know, president of baseball operations or like a Kevin Warren type who just, you know, is a, uh, oversees the business aspects. He hires the president of baseball operations. And it's just like, and Ryan Sorf is just the person who provides the investments. 
like then I think you could probably be able to patch some things over. But as long as Reinsdorf is the guy who the money is going towards and, you know, other octogenarian investors on the board, like, why would you ever want to do that? And I think that's, you know, you're, you're talking about like diehard fans doing this, but like, as I mentioned, the PO Sox uh, mailbag I posted on Sunday, like die hard doesn't mean never die. Like, this is dying hard. Like if, if, if uh, Reinsdorf is making people do this, like that's an honorable death for fandom. Like if people feel that way and don't want to be suckers, like you shouldn't be taken advantage of. Like if you're, if your defense mechanisms are kicking in and you feel like you need to like, um, you know, like if you're a, a grown ass man or a grown ass woman and just don't want to be a, a, feel like a sucker anymore, then sure. Don't like, Redirect that money to Sox Machine. I kid, but I don't. Uh, <laughs> always happy for people who do. But I mean, like that's, you know, I, I can't argue. And I think like a lot of fans are getting to that point where like, and I've seen more people expressing like, yeah, I may as well just kind of pay attention to the Cubs and fewer people objecting to that than ever mm-hmm. before, I think. Like, yeah, people are saying like, yeah, I kind of get it now. Like just uh, a more engaged ownership group that at least makes just uh, occasional gestures to understanding where fans are coming from. Uh, there's none of that here. After this horrible week at a baseball or at least display from the White Sox, I had to watch Braves Dodgers gym as a palate cleanser. Like I just had to. I, mm-hmm. I raced home, put it up on my phone. I need to watch these baseball games. I need to I'm watch really looking high, forward to the postseason. Yeah, I need to watch high quality baseball. Because that's not what you have with the White Sox. And I'm sorry, folks, it's not going to get any better. And just from a business perspective, if Jerry sits down with like Brooks Boyer, who's the chief revenue officer for the White Sox, and Brooks tells Jerry, we're going to fall short of last year's attendance by a quarter of a million fans. You know, last year, the White Sox averaged more than 24,000 fans per game. Right now, that number has shrunk down to 21,000, and it may shrink even more um, before the end of this season. That is a pretty significant drop-off, and that's obviously going to impact how much player payroll the White Sox are going to carry into next year. And next season is the final year of the television contract between Xfinity and the Chicago White Sox which is $100 million that the White Sox get, and there's nothing beyond 2024 in a TV deal, and all the rumors are saying that Xfinity may pull out of the regional sports network business, which means all of a sudden you don't have $100 million to lean on in 2025 and beyond. Like, I get what Jerry is saying. Like, I am a boring person. I don't have hobbies. My only hobby is owning a Major League Baseball team. This is why your friends tell you to sell, dude. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't have the energy or the appetite or the attention span to handle all of these business factors. you got a dying fan base right now in enthusiasm, not because of age. They're just not enthused about your product at all, and they're jumping ship to other teams or other sports or other things with their entertainment dollars. Your TV contract is expiring and you own half of NBC Sports Chicago, by the way. So if you don't have Xfinity support, which owns NBC, I don't know what the hell you do with that regional sports network other than fold it up. Uh, he owns and a controlling stake over in the stadium. stadium. Yeah. That, that's what I was going to say is like, he looks like he's making the next move. And that, I mean, like it, it seems like, you but know, that's he, not beneficial yet. Not beneficial yet. But like, you know, he, 
was at the forefront of like BAM technologies, like not like understanding it necessarily, but understanding like that's where it was going. So like, I think there are some things that keep him engaged or could keep him engaged, but like the baseball is not one of them. No, no. And the whole stadium relocation, which he's going to lead talks. I, I, again, what are we talking about here? An 87 year old man is leading the charge of this baseball franchise at a pretty pivotal time for the franchise. Like, I'm not trying to be ageist here, but mm-hmm. as a paying customer, that doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence, especially since it's so unclear of what the contingency plan is if Jerry doesn't wake up tomorrow. And that might be the case because he's 87 years old. Like, what do you do, White Sox? Like, what are we doing here? Why should I keep giving you money for your product? You don't have a contingency plan. Like, yeah, this is just, you know, it's, it's that saying it's got to get worse before it gets better. And that is exactly where we are at. Like, yes, there is light at the end of the tunnel, but folks, it's not like we're going to be walking through that tunnel. The tunnel is going to crumble on top of all White Sox fans and everyone that covers this damn team. And then it'll just be whoever climbs out of the rock pile. (laughs) gets to see the light. Like, that's how we're going to get through this. Like, we're not driving to the other end of the tunnel. We're just going to have to get bloody, get messy, climb out of the rock pile, and hope that the grass is greener on the other side. So I appreciate the email that Chris sent to us, and I know so many of you feel the same way. And for those that stick with us still at Sox Machine, we greatly appreciate it. And we do not take advantage of that. And we are very aware... Uh, of how everyone is kind of tuned out right now when it comes to what the White Sox are doing. And that's why with Chris Getz, no matter what he says publicly or maybe anything that he does, Jim, I don't think it's mm-hmm. going to bring any new fans. I, I don't. So he, I think he's in a position he could only lose. I don't see a way that Chris Getz can win anyone over. Even after listening to Keith Law's argument, which... Mm-hmm. In that podcast episode, my takeaway is I understand where you're coming from, Keith. So Chris gets, he is responsible to make sausage and he's got the sausage maker. He's got the grinder and he's got the casings. And you're saying the meat that he's being given is bad. And that's where the White Sox should focus. Fantastic. Then I need to hear from Chris gets that he fires Mike Shirley and Marco Patty and hires new people then to drive bringing new players and new talent into the organization if he doesn't do that then he's not resolving any problems that the franchise has and we're still stuck yeah i like mike shirley marco patty i think is the guy i'm i'm looking at going into this uh off season is just uh the old cuban strategy is not working watching oscar colas you know flounder around in right field it's just like, oh, you know, Yolbert Sanchez not doing anything, Norhe Vera not doing anything, selling excess money uh, because you don't, you can't use it anywhere. Like it is a, uh, like I'm wondering if Marco Patti is going to be one to go. And and like Mike Shirley, I think has done an okay job. We'll see like, because Keith uh, alluded to like Jacob Gonzalez being a safe pick and Shirley hadn't made safe picks in the first round. So I am curious. And how that uh, came to be. Yeah. How that came to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think with Getz, like listening to Keith talk and um, to me, I think he probably has 
a skill set in terms of like being personal, being curious, having uh, a little bit of a player background, like not entirely different from Chris Young, uh, who is right now doing the job with the Rangers. And it's just a matter of like his environment. He's a product of the Royals and the White Sox. Um, the thing that scared me, as I mentioned in the Keith Law podcast, is like Reinsdorf saying that Getz was doing what he wanted a farm director to do. And Lose. how he's teaching on the play. And like, have you watched your young players play? No. Like, you know, Colas in right field, Lenin Sosa not knowing what to do with the ball uh, when he gets it on cut. Like, they're play- like, the young players are playing terribly right now. And... I just wonder, like, is Getz good at telling Reinsdorf what he wants to hear? He might be. And, and that's, yeah. And uh, like, same thing with Pedro Grafal. You're spending his uh, suspension game in the owner's suite. Like, is he Jim Boylan good at kissing up and, you know, telling Reinsdorf what he wants to hear? And that's all you have to do to get six years of shots for a Jerry Reinsdorf team. Unless you have like Michael Reinsdorf or somebody saying, like, this is really bad. I don't care what you think of Boylan. <laughs> He's terrible. Uh, like, I, I I'm curious about that because yeah, listening to the CHGO um, recording of the pre-conference session, like he brought up David Eckstein and just like how he you know he thought Getz was doing a great job of teaching players how to win. Like no, he's not. Or like uh, facts, not in evidence. Um, he might be saying he is, and that's great. You know, um, you know that that's very smart, but. Yeah, I just have a sense that gets you know pri- his primary skill before in the, entering the position is just being good at knowing tailoring his message for his audience at least upwards. Same thing like Griffall. Griffall probably great at talking to Jerry Reinsdorf, terrible at talking to the fans. Gets great at talking to Jerry Reinsdorf, terrible at talking to the fans, partially because he can't smear Rickon and Kenny Williams. So when I give him benefit of the doubt, it's that like knowing that he's not going to like light the previous administration on fire, but also he was very much part of it. Yeah, but when you can't talk to fans, that's when we get emails from Chris. We get the comments on Sox yeah. Machine. That's when people on social media have the same feeling. And that's when all of a sudden as a business, you're looking around and being like, our season ticket renewal rate is horrible. Yeah. And, and that's why it's we have 15,000 <laughs> so... people coming on a Friday night. We're not even competing with football. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no football. We got 15,000. Perfect night, right? 75 degrees or something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, him saying, you know, Ryan sort of saying that they didn't have a year to spare. It's like, yes, he did. And maybe you don't. But in terms of like watching. Right. You don't, yeah, Jerry. But, but yes, you're but watching like Tigers does. fans with a unimpressive Detroit team that just swept the White Sox to really cement uh, where the White Sox are in the, in the baseball world. But like. Nobody is taken by this White Sox team, but they're happy that Al Avila is out. They're happy that Scott Harris is in. Mm-hmm. They're not, you know, believing him blindly, but they're just giving him time to work, time to try to trade some guys, time to try to develop some guys, et cetera. And like, so everybody's like taking a step back and saying, we're just going to enjoy a summer of baseball, not get too invested in wins and losses. Enjoy like Spencer Torkelson getting better uh, and like, Kerry Carpenter looking like somebody, but, you know, shrug at, you know, whatever positions aren't going well. Like, I think if they got rid of Kenny Williams and Rick Hunt and brought in somebody like that, fans have been happy to take 2024 off mentally and just treat it as like, I'm going to go to a few games, check in here and there, not sweat the losses, but uh-huh. understand that Rick and Kenny are gone and something might change after 2024. But, 
because he can't or one he for some reason believes that a new GM uh, needs a year and can't do anything within a year that's meaningful in terms of improving the team uh, and because Getz is around like that's the that's the thought process but yeah just a, it's a blown opportunity just to let fans recharge and instead they're just their batteries are shot and it, it's they're they're out uh, until wins happen and we saw Rick Hahn try to get by on that like oh we just have to wait till our record is better uh, for fans to really buy into it and then the record didn't get better and then he got yeah. mad uh, one thing about the White Sox before we move on and talk about what else has happened in Major League Baseball because I still love baseball and there's some really fascinating storylines that are going on uh, Pedro Grafal is the worst manager of my lifetime of the Chicago White Sox. He he has clinched it after this weekend. Benching Corey Lee for not running out a pop-up because he lost it in the lights, had no idea where it was, and he felt like it was behind him in foul territory because he wants to set a precedent or standard of hard play on the field and hustling after I have been watching Tim Anderson and Eloy Jimenez dog it on every ground ball that they hit. But no, we got to set an example of the rookie. Okay, Pedro. And by the way, Pedro, nobody is playing hard for you. There is (laughs) very little effort on the field with my eye test sitting out there watching you guys Friday and Saturday. No one is playing smart. No one's playing hard for you. You are not getting through these players. Blah, blah, blah. Culture this, culture that. You have Your culture is horrible because you are a horrible mm-hmm. manager. And we're going to have to put up with this for another year. <laughs> and he has officially clinched it for me, Jim. Worst White Sox manager of my fandom. He surpasses Robin Ventura. Congratulations, Pedro Grafal. Yeah, I wasn't old enough to like process Terry Bevington the way I process Pedro Grifol and Tony La Russa the second time and Robin Ventura, et cetera. So I can't like place Terry Bevington in the proper context. Like I was playing baseball during the summer of the time. I wasn't watching every White Sox mm-hmm. game. So like I can't, you know, uh, I, I'm sure like man, I know Jimmy Pardo would speak of Bevington that way. But like in terms of and, and other people may be free to, uh, uh, you know, disagree or inform us of what it was like following it on a daily basis but he is definitely just unpleasant and the like there's like an unearned arrogance underneath everything especially now that he's got the vote of confidence and saying like well i wasn't worried about my job like you should have been you should have been <laughs> your terrified for your job games below 500 how yeah. could you not be worried yeah it's just it, you know there's that um when it comes to, like benching Corey lee you know, I look at it two ways or two things come to mind. One is like, is he picking on somebody smaller than him? Mm-hmm. Is it like, is he afraid to go after the entrenched guys yes. and he's picking on the newbies? There's that, which is like not really leading. It's bullying maybe a little bit. Um, there's also, and you know, he, he learned under Mike Matheny who loved bullies in his club. Yeah, he loved a two tier uh, justice system. So there's, there's that. The other thing is like, um, it reminds me of a family that our family knew where like there were uh, four kids and like it was two older kids 
like two teenagers, then two younger kids, like, you know, six and, and then like two. So like big age range. And like, there was some alcoholism in the family and the older kids were like kind of going down that path. And the younger kids were like, you know, just young kids, toddlers, et cetera, you know, innocent, pure. And so like, instead of like realizing, oh, our family has a problem and we need to address this fully, they basically just walled off the younger kids from the older kids and just said like, well, you know, we don't want the older kids to affect the way our younger kids are being raised. So we're not really going to have them interact. We're going to move, you know, have them move out as quickly as possible so we can raise our young kids to be unfettered and untouched by the influence. And just like, that's kind of what reminded me of like, I'm, I'm putting my managing attention on Corey Lee and Lenine Sosa and Oscar Colas, who he's been riding all year. Um, like, I'm not going to like, you know, Tim Anderson might be off the payroll soon enough. Uh, the guys that just traded are out. Like Lance Lynn is, you know, out. Joe Kelly is out. Like, you know, the bad influences uh, or people who might be bad influences, we got rid of them. So now I'm going to manage the young kids. And as far as the older guys, uh, whenever they leave the house, we'll be relieved. And, you know, the cycle will repeat. So it's just, uh, that, those are the two things. And it's both are, both are dark, but... Um, yeah, like, well, I mean, Lee thing was inexcusable, except then Javier Baez did the same thing. Like, he hit a ball to the right side, and he just lost track of it. And it was a 6 o'clock start. It is like a weird dusk sky that Steve Stone likes to talk about, like that, um, you yeah, know, those late afternoon, early evening starts. Sometimes the lights don't take over, and you can't see what happens. So, like, seeing Baez do the same thing on a ball to the right side where he looked up, and it was a chopper to Andrew Vaughn, and he couldn't locate it until Vaughn was jogging to first base, like... Uh, then, uh, then it was like, oh yeah, maybe he didn't see it. You know, maybe he, maybe it's truly weird lights on that side, especially if you hit the ball weird. So like, yeah, um, neither reflect well on Griffal, but just, yeah, when you don't police something the entire year and you have like Keenan Middleton saying like that, you know, rookies are allowed to do whatever, especially like on the position player side. Um, it, it does like he's not managing everybody he's managing who he feels he can manage and that's that's terrible like that's just like that's bad and you can see like why things uh if this is how it's been and this is just like a starker version of what it's been all year and more public more evident like oh i can see why there were clicks and i could see why uh the players who could be traded wanted out and were just you know angling for their next job uh makes a lot more sense and yeah, Griffal is definitely like not the guy and the Jim Boylan vibes just get stronger and stronger. And like, we're like, except Boylan was funny, Boyle, unintentionally so, but just like, uh, uh, just, he, he, you know, growth plates, uh, the, the punch clock, <laughs> everything, all the sayings that he had uh, that nobody was taking seriously, the leadership committee, uh, the way he would say like, oh, I'm arresting this guy for that. And uh, Zach Levine would say like, uh, or, no, I didn't. Yeah. Or, or no, I wasn't, I wasn't told that. And just the way like his players would immediately undermine him. Like they're maybe baseballs, maybe the roster's bigger or, um, the roster spots are less secure. So nobody will out, uh, a manager like, uh, the bulls did with Boylan. But, uh, without that, it's not nearly as fun. Yeah, Grafal, yeah, he is the Jim Boylan of Major League Baseball. But hey, guess guess what? He's on the team for next year. And he's beginning to set the foundation for the origin of a genesis of the beginnings of a culture. Yay. 
Uh, let's talk about something positive and exciting in Major League Baseball with the postseason picture, including a four-way tie in the National League wildcard, next on the Sox Machine Podcast. The biggest acts are visiting Chicago this summer, on top of all the baseball games and other great concerts, theater shows too. It could be quite the chore and headache trying to secure tickets to all of these shows and events. Buying tickets shouldn't be stressful. Use game time to purchase your tickets. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy, theater near you. They've got killer deals on last-minute tickets, and their best price guarantee helps eliminate stressing over tickets. If you find tickets in the same section or even row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. That's why Game Time is the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country. Download the Game Time app, create your account, and get $20 off your first purchase using our promo code SOCKSMACHINE. Terms and conditions apply. Again, create an account and use our promo code SOCKSMACHINE for $20 off your first ticket purchase. Game time. Last-minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. The Chicago White Sox are in Kansas City this week. They'll play at 1.10 p.m. Central Time on Monday because the Kansas City Chiefs home opener against the Detroit Lions is now on Thursday night to kick off the 2023-2024 NFL season. Who is pitching for the White Sox this week? Who cares? Now let's take a look at the Major League Baseball playoff picture, including a wild race in the National League. And just looking at the National League wild card. So the Philadelphia Phillies are the number four seed. And they got a buffer here. They're 75 and 61. The fifth seed right now is the Chicago Cubs. They're 73 and 64. And then you have four teams tied for the last spot in the wild card for the National League. Arizona, Miami, San Francisco, and Cincinnati all have a 5-11 winning percentage. And all of, all of these teams are... Are three games back at the Chicago Cubs for the fifth seed, Jim. Wow. We are entering the final month of the season here. And the way that the National League has been played out, this is exciting. This is what keeps attention for many fan bases. And with the expanded postseason, with the balanced schedule, I, this is an example where you could point to and say, yes, your guys is thinking in the commissioner's office is working out here. If this keeps up for the final three, four weeks of the Major League Baseball season, if it remains a tight re tight race all the way through the end of September, 
What do you make of the craziness of the National League wildcard right now? Well, I'm looking at like that four-way tie and all of those teams have negative run differentials. They're all 70 and 67 and they're all, you know, in the red when it comes to that column. Where's the Padre? The poor Padres, eight games under 500, five and a half games back of the wild card spot. 62, plus 62 run differential. So uh, they're like the best bad team or the worst good team in baseball. Um, Speaking yeah, of San Diego real quick, in yep. Sunday's game, I don't know if you saw this highlight. There's a Padres base runner in first base. They're stealing second. The throw from the catcher is overthrown at the second base into the outfield. So the Padres base runner runs to third base. The center fielder throws it past the third baseman. So the guy's thinking, I'm going to score. So the Padres runner gets up and makes their way to home. The ball ricochets off the visiting dugout. In a way, it goes directly to the catcher who's got the (laughs) ball. And the base runner's like five feet away from home and is easily tagged out. And someone on Twitter responded the 2023 San Diego Padres season in a nutshell. (laughs) Yeah. It's um, on one hand, I feel bad for him. And like, I like given just how I like how their ownership went about it. Like you'd like to see them rewarded on the other hand, like it is, you know, fascinating to know that like, Oh, you can, do all that and like a team like the reds can sneak ahead of you just by um you know and and those fans can be pleasantly surprised as much as like fans in san diego who are amped up have been disappointed i think you know i'm of two minds about it one is that like seeing like all the teams hovering around 500 ish like all three games above 500 negative run differentials like it is rewarding mediocrity if one of these teams slips in and you know they are able to advance into the um postseason because like when you look at like braves dodgers awesome phillies Uh are looking like they were last year it took them a while but they're getting there and they're fun and they have a lot of you know charisma and confidence and a team i enjoy rooting for trey turner yep uh cubs are spunky i would say like you know they you know maybe a year ahead of schedule but like have the resources to add from here so like they feel like they're kind of they're also the brewers like you know they're doing brewers things like succeeding with an unimpressive roster um so like they all have their ways of doing it but like nobody else feels like they should be in and so like that was my concern about like expanding the postseason is that you know you're rewarding one of these teams that's just not that good on the other hand they're all trying which is what I was afraid of, like, and and contrary to what I was afraid of, I was afraid of like a, a mediocre team would slip in, despite like, kind of shrugging their shoulders at the idea of contending. Whereas like the Diamondbacks want it, the Marlins want it, the Reds want it, the Giants want it. Although they're I think angling maybe for Otani, so like maybe they aren't putting all their eggs in the twenty twenty three basket, but at least like, they're all showing what you want to see like adding at the deadline like really taking this year seriously so i like that and i think that shows up in the product and like the scoreboards and the day-to-day standings of like the tension being there because like they did invest themselves into both financially and emotionally so looking at the strength of schedule for the remaining games of this 2023 season cincinnati has the easiest strength of schedule remaining out of these teams they the combined winning percentage of their opponents is 476. The Diamondbacks have the second easiest. They're 481, but they have seven games left against the Chicago Cubs. 
The Cubs are third. The combined winning percentage is 494. The Giants slightly behind the Cubs, 495. Philadelphia, 518. Again, they have that big buffer. Miami has one of the toughest remaining schedules in all of Major League Baseball. The combined opponent's winning percentage against the Marlins for the rest of the year is 542. Only three National League wildcard teams are going to make it. So if we believe that the Braves, the Dodgers, or the Brewers are going to hold on in their respective divisions. Out of these six teams, Jim, Philadelphia, the Chicago Cubs, Arizona, Miami, San Francisco, and Cincinnati, which three do you like to survive and make it into the postseason? Uh, definitely Philly. I um, think the Cubs are going to do it. I think they have enough of a margin and have enough depth to do it. Third team, I want to say the Diamondbacks. Uh, like, or I, sh- I, don't, I shouldn't say, I want to say the Marlins just because like Jake Berger. Cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> drive your team there. Uh, make everybody make White Sox fans happy for you and mad at everybody at 35th and Shields. Like go for it. So I'm, I'm behind the Marlins, but I think the Diamondbacks, I like their assemblage of talent. I think just a little bit more. Um, so I think I'm leaning there. I agree with you, but those seven games against the Cubs, it could go. Either way, like if they almost split like three and four, four and three, then it doesn't really make up a whole lot of ground. But if the Diamondbacks win like five out of seven against the Cubs, then that puts some pressure on the Cubs to survive. Like I find that factoid to be fascinating. But the San Francisco Giants refuse to die, Jim. <laughs> like mm-hmm. Every time I look at their roster, I'm like, I don't think this team is very good. And here they are. They're They're still there. So... I think I'm going to go with the surprise here. I'm going to say the Giants sneak in as the sixth seed. Yeah, I mean, uh, I do the same thing, and they've lost three in a row right now. And, like, based on just social media, and and sometimes, like, I follow teams, or I enjoy following teams uh, and not checking how they're doing or not checking what the score of their game is, just trying to guess what they've been doing lately based on the coverage or the tone of the stories. And, like, the Giants, I never get right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. speaking of the giants big series this week they are at wrigley field against the chicago cubs this week for cincinnati again they're still hanging on and it would be that would be a great story if the reds could make it into the postseason there would be a lot of excitement obviously because they let la de la cruz and their other rookies maybe the last chance for joey Votto to have postseason glory they got a tough series to start this week the seattle mariners are visiting cincinnati Uh, This week. So those are two big series of the docket moving over to the American League. You're getting some separation here. The wild card, at least the fourth seed. Tampa Bay is six and a half games ahead of Houston and Texas in the wild card. They're two and a half games behind Baltimore still in the American League East as those two teams are still going toe to toe. But in the wild card, you really just got to look at the American League West. Seattle currently leads the West. They're a half game ahead of Houston and just a game ahead of Texas. So these three teams are within one game of each other. Seattle, Houston, Texas. With the last three weeks of the season here, Jim, who do you like to win the American League West out of these three teams? I I think I'm going to eliminate the Rangers. Just they feel to me like a long shot horse that is just kind of like fading down the stretch, like leading for most of the race, but like just there is a reason why they were, you know, 25 to one, you know, at the start of the race is just like, they don't have the history and the talent. And I think 
they tried to get out ahead of it with the deadline, like adding early with a Roldis Chapman. Like they did seem, you know, I took that as like, we know this ourselves that we got a little bit lucky. So we need to get ahead of like simple regression by like adding to our bullpen because that's the obvious weak point and then trying to add from there. So to me, it feels like a two team race between Seattle and Houston. And while I don't entirely trust the Mariners just because of their own history of not quite doing it. I also don't trust like the Jim Crane Astros, like the, yeah, they, they've had an odd vibe to me all year, at least going back to the off season, like after the world series of just being like, you know, Crane might be feeling himself a little bit too much like Jeff Bagwell coming in and like talking about like how analytics, you know, are overrated and, you know, for a team that basically built his entire, uh, juggernaut on it like it just i I, they felt a little bit off like i trust the name brand more than i do the mariners but going off vibes and i think like the mariners like might have gotten their bad baseball out earlier in the year and like this is maybe more who they're supposed to be uh going forward that like i think i'm gonna reluctantly uh put my support behind them in terms of like thinking they can do it versus just wanting them to do it I agree with you on Seattle. Now, the question that I pose to you between like who finishes second and third, uh, don't you want to finish as the sixth seed in the American League? Because you go to Minnesota. Minnesota, you get to face the Twins <laughs> rather than go to Tampa or Baltimore and whoever loses the American League East. Like, I'd rather be the sixth seed than the fifth seed in the American League. Now, you got to be careful here. Because Toronto is lurking. They're a game and a half back Mm -hmm. of Texas, a two games back of Houston in the American League wildcard. And I want to get to Toronto in a moment here. But between Houston and Texas, like if we think you're going to finish second or third, don't you want to finish in third and as the sixth seed in the American League? Yeah, I think you like it's a fine consolation prize. Yeah. Like it's, you know, what you want. And like when you're talking about like the idea of like mediocrity and such, like, uh, the expanded postseason rewarding it. Like that's not the case in the American League. Like all three wildcard teams are good. The AL Central is letting everybody down. <laughs> but uh, you know, the wildcard though is a godsend to like, if you want to watch good baseball and want to try to filter the twins out or at least dilute them, their presence or an AL Central team's presence as much as possible because I'm not entirely counting out Cleveland yet. Like they have some games with the, with the twins and the twins haven't been this able week. to separate them. Yeah. So just like, uh, having seen like the twins just fail to separate time and time and time again, like I want to see them do it before I automatically, you know, consider them uh post-season bound. But in any event, whether it's Cleveland or Minnesota, like just, all of these, you know, going even to Toronto, like Boston's not bad. Uh, the Yankees are getting maybe to 500 again. So maybe they won't break that streak after all, uh, finding that second win. But like there are good teams here. And so I'm glad that, you know, the AL Central won't, you know, it represents less the postseason than it did when it was a four-team setup and a five-team setup. So I'm a fan of that. Uh, as for Toronto, um, like, I think that's why you just have to focus on the division if you're in the AL West, just because Toronto, I think, keeps you honest. I've been, like, I had Toronto going to the World Series. I thought last year might have been, like, their um, learning how to win year and, like, learning just the, what it takes and such. Uh, but, you know, maybe it's a roster thing. Maybe, like, the roster fit too much. Although they did try to augment that by, like, getting a better defensive outfield. And that's not quite clicking. Um, but I think they're at least good enough to be, like, 
like I'm looking at them versus the uh, National League wildcard teams, and I like them better than every other NL wildcard team except for Philadelphia. Like I consider the Blue Jays on par with Philly, uh, but like right now they're on the outside looking in, and they're like one hot week away from like being that third wildcard team. So as much as it makes sense for like the Astros or the Rangers, the Mariners, whoever to line, line it up to be that last seed. Uh, yeah, just Toronto is just too strong of a bubble team to really think about like gaming the system like that. I think it's going to take 90 wins in the American league. If you want to get one of these wild card spots, it's going to take at least 90 wins to get, which it. is awesome. That's what you want. Right. Whereas in the national league, 83, 84 wins, like mm-hmm. 84, 78 might be your six seed where 90 and 72 is your six seed in the American league. Like very top heavy in the American league. And then there's the American league central, which the twins and guardians have a three game series uh, to start this <laughs> week. Yeah. It's the entire reason for the white Sox existence right now. Like it's amazing how often Reinsdorf and Getz have gone back to that. Well, um, whether it's before the press conference, during the press conference, even like gets his appearances on radio and TV booths after the press conference, just keep leaning on the mediocrity of the AL central being the reason why they can contend. They don't have like any reasons themselves. Like they can't answer why we might be a good team, which is what you want to hear. Like that's, that's what's I think very concerning about following the White Sox, I guess to tie it back to the top is like, they're not talking about like, how are we going to be a good team? How are we going to be a great team? They're talking about like, how can we be the best team in a terrible division, which doesn't get you anywhere uh, as most postseasons inform you about like how Minnesota keeps losing and how the Guardians had that one year, but otherwise have been disappointments. How the White Sox were one and done the two years that they got in. Like that's most of the time, uh, you can tell a difference between great and okay, uh, even if it is like a five-game sample. And uh, good and great, harder to tell. Like Philly was a good team. Uh, the Braves were a great team last year. The Dodgers were a great team. But good beat great. Uh, in this case, like I, the, I think the AL Central is just like okay at best. And okay tends to get filtered out pretty quickly. Yeah, looking at the remaining schedule, Cleveland's got four games left against Baltimore, three against the Texas Rangers, three against the San Francisco Giants, and a two-game rival series against Cincinnati. This three-game series against the Minnesota Twins is their last series against the Twins for this season. So it's going to be hard for them to make up five games. They do have a series left against Kansas City, Detroit, and they got a four-game series against the Angels. Meanwhile, the Twins have the third easiest remaining schedule in Major League Baseball. They just have three games against the Rays, three games against the Reds, and then they got a series against Oakland, Colorado, a four-game series against the White Sox, a three-gamer against the New York Mets, and a three-gamer against Los Angeles Angels. Things have really broke right for the Minnesota Twins. By the way, the Chicago White Sox have the second easiest schedule remaining in Major League Baseball. And are they going to do anything <laughs> with it? Hell no. <laughs> it seems impossible days. when you consider they can't play themselves. Uh, right. I know. I know. But, yeah. They're, they're still going to lose 100 games this year. But that's the postseason race right now. And, again, we're keeping an eye on it here at Sox Machine because that keeps our attention when following Major League Baseball, because it's a lot more fun. It's a lot more exciting 
to pay attention to the postseason race than it is at least with the Chicago White Sox. But and I'm looking forward to like when uh, the league said that they're not going to change the pitch clocks for October. Like that was great news to me because I'm really looking forward. Like I've been thinking about like the the White Sox right now. Watching them are my vegetables mm-hmm. <laughs> like i'm just trying to get them out of the way because i don't want that to be the last taste in my mouth uh you know whether it's uh the the main course or uh dessert like i'm really looking forward to the postseason the way like i've been on record of saying like i prefer regular season baseball to the postseason just because of the way the postseason drags down and how many pitchers come out but like when the pitch clock's here and given how bad the regular season has been like this is probably the most excited i've been for the postseason in quite a while that's At least awesome one that hasn't involved the White Sox. That's awesome to hear. Well, we'll see see if the excitement's still there uh, when the postseason starts. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. During your Labor Day, we greatly appreciate it. And again, we greatly appreciate all the feedback that we get from you guys and the daily activity in the comments section at SoxMachine.com. Thank you guys for your continued engagement in what has become the dumpster fire of all dumpster fire seasons. For the Chicago White Sox. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine on Twitter and Facebook. We're there as well. Threads, Instagram. You can follow me on those social media platforms at Sox Machine underscore Josh. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Music. We also upload our podcast into our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash socks machine, where we have video highlights and such that you could watch, including our interview with Jimmy Pardo on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash socks machine. If you enjoy our work and want more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash socks machine, where Jim just had his PO socks mailbag column. That's exclusive content for our Patreon supporters, where our Patreon supporters get to ask questions to Jim and he does a Q&A session via mailbag. They also get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website, and when we have new Sox Machine swag in the Sox Machine store, they're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.